The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen. Always glad to have you with us along for the ride. And also along for the ride, he's going to be riding shotgun. Well, that's Nathan Miller, our producer. Very happy to have you with us. And today, we're just going to have fun. We're going to be talking with our friend Jeffrey Mark. He is a listener favorite on our broadcast podcast. And we're going to be talking about classy cars of classic TV. Do you remember the Batmobile? Who doesn't? How about the monkey's car or that souped up jalopy of the Munsters? The car driven by Cato as he was tooling around with a green hornet. Remember that show? And of course, the general from Dukes of Hazard. Oh, my goodness. And of course, we have to make allowance. Not all of them were flashy. Not all of them were fast. I can remember my mother, the car. I remember running home from the playground to go and catch the premiere of my mother, the car. Yes, I go back and we all go back to those glorious pop culture days of the 60s, the 70s, and even the early 80s as we talk about these classic and classy cars that were so associated with the TV shows that they helped to make into sensations. Jeffrey Mark is our guest. He'll be joining us in just a moment. This is American Road Trip Talk, and we'll be back right after this. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I want to bring attention to a life-saving product called Alert Drops. Drowsy driving is one of the most catastrophic problems in America, and Alert Drops will stop it. Kids studying in college, drinking too much caffeine, overloading on these energy drinks. They end up in the hospital. Alert Drops will stop it. What is Alert Drops? Alert Drops is a simple spray on the tongue made out of citric acid, sour lemon, and water, co-created with my uncle, Dr. Henry Heimlich, creator of the Heimlich Maneuver, who said, Anson, Alert Drops will save more lives than the maneuver. Whether you are driving, whether you are studying, whether you're just a tired mom, whenever you need to be alert, get Alert Drops. A simple spray on the tongue, nothing in your system, and you're naturally awake, naturally alert. It's scientifically proven. It's doctor approved. Again, it's natural. It's been honored by the United States Congress. Go to alertjobs.com. Very important. Go to alertjobs.com and stay safe. West Tennessee is full of history, adventure, and natural beauty. Hear the stories of West Tennessee's legendary music and taste the flavors our region is known for. Wander down the Ghost River and sit on the steps where Alex Haley learned about his roots. No matter your passion, West Tennessee has it. The adventure starts in Memphis, but it doesn't end there. Visit westtennesseedaytrippin.org. Let me spell that for you. W-E-S-T-T-N-D-A-Y-T-R-I-P-P-I-N.org. Adventure is waiting. Giving local voices a chance to shine. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to American Road Trip Talk. Jeffrey Mark has been called a walking encyclopedia of show business history. It's true, you know. A singer, stand-up comedian in nightclubs and cabarets, and an off-Broadway veteran. Jeffrey has hosted radio series. I think he has one going on right now, as a matter of fact. Written comedy, yes, he's done that, and now writes and produces documentaries and reality shows for cable television. Jeffrey Mark also has written three best-selling books devoted to Lucille Ball, 
Ella Fitzgerald and Ethel Merman. We're so happy to have them with us on Trip Talk once again. Hello, Jeffrey Mark. Hello, Alternative Talk. <laughs> Jeffrey, I'll tell you, now you and I, we have some rings around our knees. That We've been around uh, the TV culture for a while. I can still recall, Jeffrey, being so excited in the run-up to the very first episode of the Batman TV series, which started in 1966. And I remember, again, I was out playing with my buddies and, hey, Batman's on tonight. And I run home, I watch Batman, and I'm thinking, first of all, I don't understand why they're going for comedy here. I mean, I was just 12 years old at the time, and I'm going, this isn't supposed to be that funny. And you have Frank Gorshin as the Riddler, and there's a lot of pow, zog, boof, biff, bam, and all this with the, the cartoon explosions with every punch. And I thought, this just isn't what I expected until my spirits were lifted and my eyes got as big as saucers when I laid eyes for the first time on the Batmobile roaring out of the Batcave. I knew something exciting was about to happen. What was your response? Well, I was a, a veteran DC Comics fan of what's now called the Silver Age. So I was aware that they'd, there'd been in the comic books a huge change in the way they were portraying Batman that the Batman who fought monsters and went into outer space and was kind of corny had been made a mod and they had changed the artwork and the writing. But the minute I saw the television show, I went, oh, they're doing a parody on how it used to be. And of course, that wonderful Batmobile that, that George Barris put together for them, uh, the original Batmobile in the comic books was this tank of a car that had a hard top to it. When they changed it over, it became a flashy convertible sports car. So, so George did a combination of both. It was a huge boat of a car with an open top. And yeah, how exciting is that to watch that? And I was living in, in uh, the San Fernando Valley in California when the show was first debuted. And you got to see the car just driving around town as they shot stuff. It was very impressive. And then uh, a few millennia later, to sit in the car myself was like just goosey pimply all over. What was that experience like for you, Jeffrey? The goosey, the pimply, I get all that, but I mean, did, they have, did it have some pickup to it? I didn't get, to, I didn't say I drove it. I said I sat in it. Um, I was working on uh, some documentaries, I guess, that took me to George's, George Barris, the man who's, Really, all the cars or most of the cars we're going to talk about today were inventions of his and his family and his crew. And I, I just saw the Batmobile sitting there and it's like, can I? He said, yeah, get in. What, what it hit me in the Batmobile, because uh, Adam West was a tall man, uh, was, was that it was, there was not much room in that thing. Um, it was not roomy inside. Uh, I'm five foot seven or five foot eight, depending on what shoes I'm wearing. And. I got in, but I wouldn't have wanted to go cross country in that thing. It was even worse than the Munster coach. Uh, that was ridiculously small. And I do want to get to that in a moment, but let me ask you, Jeffrey, was there just one original Batmobile? No, they had to have several. They had to have one. Most shows that are done without a live audience, they're done one camera, like a movie uh, while Adam and Bert may have been in the studio doing something. There'd be what they call a second unit, uh, another director, another crew with stand-ins 
who were shooting them driving around places to save time, to save money, and to save the, the energy of the stars. So there always had to be at least two. Well, and then you need one backup for each one should something bad happen. So they had, they had one that hardly ever moved. That was like the one that was in the bat cave. Uh, then they had ones that were out and about. There were probably a half a dozen of them all together, the originals. And then uh, Mr. Barris made a few extra ones through the years to lend to museums and, and just for the sake of pleasing the audiences who wanted to see it. But they were all exact duplicates and you, you cannot tell the difference between the, the six or so originals and then the few extras that he made through the years. It was an extraordinary thing. And I'll just duck this in really quickly, Jeffrey. I, I, this occurred to me this morning, right after I woke up in anticipation of our interview. I thought, you know, that wasn't the time for CGI. It had not yet come. Oh, no, A lot of the things that, that we thrill to now is because of computer generized, uh, generated imagery. But back then, you needed to have something flashy. It was nice if it was fast, but it had to capture the eye. And it was done through ingenious mechanical visioning and, and then putting, you know, half a dozen of them together with all of these cars, because back then you had to have the object to look at. You weren't going to be dazzled by imagery the way we are today. No, everything had to be real in that the, the, you had a camera and you had film. That's the first thing. It wasn't done digitally and they couldn't fix it later on. It had to be actually physically there. The jet engines for the Batmobile, the car didn't have real jet engines, <laughs> but it had to look like it had jet engines. So they fixed that up. That's a prop. That's, that's what the, they do in the moment to prepare the car to be filmed. There, there was no... I know for, for younger people who might be listening, you're saying, what do you mean? We mean you, you got what you saw and you saw what you got. Uh, other than a few minor things they could fix in editing, it all had to be there in front of the camera. And when you have these wonderful cars that all represent something different and they're being used differently, but they all have to look alike, they all have to actually run. They all have to actually be filmed on the streets of wherever. That's why the man was a genius. And that's why the people, the crews who worked on these things, it was a pain in the neck for them. And they were brilliant at how they handled it. And we have that legacy with us today. If only to watch on TV, if you're not in the presence of the original Batmobile, any one of them. I do want to move on. You mentioned the Munsters. It seems to me, Jeffrey, that with the Munsters, it's interesting because with the Adams family, I don't recall a car playing a role in that. It was this mansion, this creepy old place. Oh, there there was, was a car. There was a car there. They too. actually had their car. Was it a car that showed up as incidental to the plot or was it someplace they went to prominently? When they had to go somewhere, there was an open topped touring car older touring car mm -hmm. that also Mr. Barris made for them. Uh, Non-specific of date, just creepy old fashioned looking like the house was. They didn't use it very often because they didn't take them out of that mansion very often. Uh, the way they were able to afford everything on the, on the Adams family was to keep it all on that one set of sets, the main room of, of their mansion and a couple of extra rooms they used a lot. 
But when they had to go somewhere, there was indeed a car, but not nearly as memorable as the uh, Munster Roadster or or the grandpa's car, because grandpa Michaud had his own uh, sports car. And I got to climb into that one, the, the, the Munster coach. And I asked the question, and then my own memory answered it. If you watch the Munsters, the two seasons and the film, you never actually see anyone getting into the car, especially mm-hmm. not Fred Gwynn. You see them approaching the car, and then the next thing you know, they're all sitting there. And if you look very closely, Fred's knees are up at his nipples. That thing was so tiny. Now, again, I'm five seven, five eight. Fred was what six three, six four, with, without the lifts on the shoes. And I don't know how he got into it. I barely could get into it. My knees were up against my stomach, sitting in it. It was very cool to be there and go, wow, I'm in this thing. But good heavens, that was very, very difficult to get to. And I and 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 it was more important, a bigger thrill for me, the Munsters was than the Batmobile because I went to school with Lisa Loring. I knew her as a child. Uh, I, I sat on Lurch's shoulders when I was seven years old. Wow. I knew the cast. So to, to be a, attached to that and then sit in the thing, that was lovely for me. And kudos to you and a belated happy birthday to Lisa Loring. She had a birthday just a few days ago, it seems yes, to she me. Did. So then there was the Munsters. Yes, all that is going on. And for a season, we got to get excited about the Green Hornet, which I thought was a very classy, hip show. And I knew, and at the time, Cato was Cato. Okay, well, here's this guy named Bruce Lee, and I think he was making 200 bucks a week playing Cato, and he's the driver, and all this is going on with style. I found that fascinating, and I was sorry when they canceled the show. Well, I think what happened is what happened to Batman the shows got very, very popular. Uh, Batman was on twice a week, its first season and a half. And then after a while, there are only so many outrageous stories you can do. And in the 1960s, especially, we went through fads, just snap, snap, snap. A fad was in, a fad was out. Uh, you were doing the twist and then you were doing the monkey. No, the monkey is out. Let's do the swim. No, the swim is out. Let's wear our hair this way. No, let's wear our hair that way. So as, as tastes kept changing every, it seems six months, what was a huge fad one moment became yesterday's news. And that's what happened to uh, Batman. And, and and with all that going on, there was the prefab four. What a fascinating story of show business success. The monkeys came to television. And my understanding of it, Jeffrey, is that they weren't really intended to be a band. They were supposed to be four guys pretending to be a band. And then guess what? They became a highly successful band. <laughs> and they had this car and they're tooling around in this thing. And it's almost like if you're going to be hip, there had to be some emblematic car that you would drive around at that time. And the monkeys had theirs. Again, thank you to George Barris. Um, he was the go-to guy. I mean, we can't do a show like this and not you know, take our caps off. Or people that happen to be wearing caps right now, take our caps off to George because uh, almost always on these shows, he was the go-to guy to make these automobiles or to transform something that already existed into these amazing, amazing cars. I I know the guys loved working with the car. Um, I've interviewed them through the years and uh, especially Peter Tork at length. 
and they loved it. They loved, they loved the whole idea of it. It was fun for them. Uh, not a lot was fun for them on that show. They were not, it was not a happy set. These were four very talented, very intelligent young men did not want to just be four guys. They all sang, they all played instruments for real. And they balked at how they were being treated. So that's apart and aside from the car. The car was the car was a bonus for them. That was fun for them. I can see where it would be. Whatever happened to that car, Jeffrey? Do you know? The same thing that happened to all of uh, Mr. Barris's cars. Uh, George Barris had a large building in North Hollywood where he housed at least one of everything. Then he had a warehouse apart and aside from that where all the rest of the cars were. When he passed away, when did he pass away? When he passed away uh, in 2001? No, 2015. When he passed away back then, his family kept the, the business going. So you could still visit and see some of these things. But they've now, because of COVID, they've closed up. And at this very moment, I have to assume that all of the cars have been put into storage in a warehouse because then they're no longer at the original address. I heard a story that I could not verify, but regarding the monkey's car, I read and I read it online. So of course it must be true, but I really couldn't verify that the monkeys after the show ended, went on a tour down to Australia and they took the car with them. But they left Australia and the car did not, so the story goes. Mysteriously, years later, it showed up in Puerto Rico at a hotel where it was being used as a courtesy car. Now, I don't know if that's true, but it makes for a heck of a story. I'm, I'm sure it is true, but keep in mind there wasn't only one car. A monkey car went with them to Australia not the monkey car went with them to Australia. Uh, Mr. Barris would not allow his property to go halfway around the world unless <laughs> his people went with them right. and had all the proper paperwork to get it back because I've seen the monkey car and I, I know it exists. There always were multiples. There were multiple lassies. There were multiple ruby slippers for Judy Garland. Uh, they have to. You have to have multiples of these things. Heaven forfend you're shooting something meaning it's you're on a set or you're on location and you're doing a scene. Ruby slippers, the, the heel falls off, a dress rips, the car forgets to start, it gets a fender bender. You can't wait around. You have to have backups right there that get changed in and out in less than five minutes because time is uh, lassie. They have different, they're all male dogs. One dog swam well, one dog barked well, one dog jumped well. And then they had the one that just was in the scenes, the best actor to be in most of the scenes. That's what show business is. You have to have a backup. So there's multiples of all these things. And Lassie did all those things well because of multiple Lassies. Which one went to the well to rescue Timmy? <laughs> the one that went to Wells well. <laughs> And you're Back talking to, to somebody I have interviewed Lassie. So I'm talking firsthand here. <laughs> yes, your word is unimpeachable, sir. <laughs>
I, with the time we have left, I have to make sure that we talk about the general. I remember watching the Dukes of Hazard. I used to love that intro. You watch the opening theme. It was just Waylon Jennings. Oh, it was so much fun. I mean, it was, to me, it was innocent fun on a Friday night. So you watch that and, and here's the general sailing away to the cries of yeehaw from the Dukes of Hazard. What a fancy car. Imagine all the youngsters of that generation watching that and just imagining themselves behind the wheel. Of cars that fell apart every single time they used them. Every time that thing jumped and fell down, oh, next car, they made dozens and dozens of that one because they abused it. It was part of the shell that they had to abuse the car. So they had to have just multiple, 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 multiple. And of course, what they did was they made shells. They made shells of the body that all looked alike that fit on cookie cutter bodies. So that when they were filming it from afar, jumping over a lake, jumping over a mountain, jumping to the moon, whatever they had them doing in that car, it all looked like the same car. But those things fell apart at least once a week. There had to be a second car brought in. So, so they were just making them over and over and over again. I didn't watch the show because I didn't appreciate the Confederacy uh, signage around it. Yeah, it's okay. all in fun. But yeah, I, I just didn't dig that. But the car was gorgeous and the car was wonderful. Yes, it absolutely. And uh, I will put in a good word for those Daisy Dukes and she who <laughs> occupied them. <laughs> yeah, that was quite something. Well, Jeffrey, I want to make sure because I mentioned it earlier, so I, I don't want to be negligent here. I remember running home. I wanted to see the premiere of my mother, the car. What a concept. We're not talking about fast and flashy now, but we are talking about some antique grace. Tell us about that car. Well, I, I ran home. I wasn't running home. I was home watching it because I was already a huge fan of Ann Southern from her different television shows. And just to know that her voice was going to be there was reason enough for me to want to watch it. They were cagey about this one in that uh, there was a theme song attached to it. And in the theme song, they referred to mother. So for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, a man's mother has passed away and he's auto shopping. And an old, old, old car from the 20s talks to him. Mom has been reincarnated as a car. High concept, kids. And he buys the car because it's mom. And he takes mom home. But they call it a 1928 Porter. There was no such car. That way they were able to use whatever old car they could get. Mm. And uh, again, multiples of because... One sat in the studio being the one where mom talked, and then one actually had to work well and be out on the streets. I do remember that show in particular, and I don't know that it's always fair, you know, give us your assessment here in a moment's time there, Jeffrey. I've heard that, you know, pick whatever show to you is the best that Best TV you ever saw, and that's the Zenith. But time and time again, I would read that the nadir of uh, certainly sitcoms or television generally was my mother, the car. And I used to say to myself, uh, I could see their point, but I didn't think it was that bad. It got roasted by the critics when it first came out. Uh, people even pulled Ann Southern over the coals. Wow, you must really need the money to be doing this. Wow. It's not a terrible show. It's just again, historical 
looking back historically is 2020. From my favorite Martian forward, there had been this big fad on television of fantasy and science fiction shows. Bewitched, I Dream of Genie, The Monsters, The Addams Family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, my favorite doll with Bob Cummings. And the fad was just about to break. This was the last of the, re the really big high concept fantasy shows. It was not well written. Um, Jerry Van Dyke was a very talented man. The show did not give him very much to do except to be embarrassed. <laughs> and Southern took the money and ran. The rest of the cast, no offense to them, were not very strong. It was very, very bland comedy pitched onto a very high concept. Well, if you have a high concept, you better have high concept writing. And this was like, you know, Donna Reed show, but mother is a car. It just wasn't very funny. And of course, one of the cardinal rules of dramaturgy is that conflict leads to resolution. I remember it, you needed a villain in My Mother the Car, and so Avery Captain Shriver. Manc Captain Mancini, who was always looking to steal Mother away because she was <laughs> worth a lot of money as an antique car. I adored Avery. He was a wonderful man. I got to know him very, very well when I grew up. But even he said this was not a lot of fun for him. Mm. If it and isn't it, in the writing, it's not going to be on the screen. Yes, yes, I definitely see your point. And as we get ready to wrap up again, now the, the Barris cars, is there any, are there any plans to make them publicly available? I mean, some of these cars, they get torn down or they get lost in a hurricane. I, one of the general cars was uh, claimed by Hurricane Ida, I read. Yeah. So where do you go to see what? At the moment, as far as I know, there is nowhere to go for the public to see these cars. Last information I got, which is last year, is that they're all warehouse now, uh, but the kids don't want to sell them. They're not looking to make money off of them, meaning to lose them. Right. They're probably available still to be rented out. They just, they closed down the storefront, which is too expensive. And during COVID, there wasn't a whole lot of filming going on, but they they exist. They have not gone into the way of uh, cranked coffee or uh, cranked cars for that matter. Uh, they exist. They're available. They're safe but they're not available to be seen publicly. There is, I'll put a plug in for a friend. If you really want to go see the Batmobile, one of them lives at the Hollywood Museum where there's a beautiful Batman uh, display on. And if you want to see the car, go to the Hollywood Museum on Highland Avenue in Hollywood and uh, tell them Jeffrey Mark sent you. Fantastic. And we're delighted every time you join us, Jeffrey Mark. Thank you so much for visiting once again. I'll come up with the time and another topic, and we'll do this again. Anytime you want me. Beautiful. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue. Until next time, dream well and drive safely on the American Road. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family, 
and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure.